Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of the MindRenewed.com, podcasting to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. Today is the 10th of May 2013, and I'm delighted to be speaking to Mr. Oli Anthony, who is the founder and president of the Trinity Foundation in Dallas, Texas, which is a religious, charitable and educational not-for-profit organization, specializing in the investigation of fraud and other abuses of the public trust within the religious broadcasting industry. And in addition to regularly assisting journalists in their investigations and working with news organisations around the world to expose fraud and abuse in the name of God, the Trinity Foundation also works to help and support those made homeless and otherwise damaged by such bogus ministries. So, Mr. Anthony, thank you very much indeed for sparing the time to speak with us on The Mind Renewed. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Julian. I'd like to start, if I may, by asking you to tell us a bit more about the Trinity Foundation itself. Could you tell us how the foundation came into existence? And along with that, tell us something about your own journey too. What was it that motivated you to start this particular work? I uh, was an atheist one day and a sold-out believer the next day. And it's hard to explain to people, but it's best expressed by the conversion experience of Paul, the Damascus Road conversion experience. And it was violent and majestic, and it was as if I was taken into, were taken into the heart of God, and everything in me wants to go back there. Mm-hmm. But that was in 1972, in January. I visited hundreds of churches, and the one takeaway from my conversion, other than the revelation of Christ in me, was that I could never again do anything to help myself. That included spiritually. I had to simply abandon myself to the grace of God, and what happened would be his business. And so in each church I went to, most in the United States, they're relatively large, and I tried to find large ones, small ones, medium ones, and every time I heard them tell me how to get something from God, I got sick to my stomach. It was violent. It was the Holy Spirit saying, no, this isn't it. Mm -hmm. And so finally I ended up joining a huge church, Uh, the United Methodist Church, because it welcomed all, whether they were charismatic or ultra-liberal or anything in between. And slowly but surely, I taught a Bible study at that church. And um, then (laughs) the pastor that was in charge of the Sunday schools uh, was a friend of mine, and he came and said, "Uh, Oli, we're going to have to ask you not to teach anymore. You're causing too much disruption. And and during that time, Trinity Foundation was formed. Anyhow, that's and I began teaching Bible studies then at Trinity Foundation, and and that's that's how that happened. I must ask you why you were causing so much trouble, or at least why, in the eyes of those who were saying you were (laughs) causing so much trouble, what what was that all about? The predicate of Christianity is your death, his life. Mm. You're gone. He lives. I said. if your baptism wasn't your burial, you didn't get baptized, you just got wet, and that offended quite a few people. Mm-hmm. So at that time, were you teaching already against the idea that uh, Christianity can be used as a tool for self-gain? Is that where you were coming from with that? Oh yeah, because that was the heart of the conversion experience, that the whole idea of modern Christianity is really for self-realization. And self-realization in the name of God is, in the scriptures, in the Hebrew, it's avin, which means it's, it's self-realization, sin. 
Indeed, whereas we're called to die to self, absolutely. Um, now, one of the things that I want to do with this interview, of course, is to ask you to share something about the cases that you've been involved with over the years. But before I ask you to get into any detail about that, could you give us a broad picture of the kinds of frauds that you see have actually been taking place within the religious media world? And you know, what kind of techniques that some of these people are using to uh, persuade people to part with their money? Well, first of all, it's in America, but it's throughout the entire world. There's more fraud in the name of God than any other kind of fraud in the world by a substantial amount. Now, that is just heartbreaking. If you really, if you took yourself out of time and looked down and see that there's more fraud than the name of your father, then there's something wrong with this world. And it's because we've left the first century Christianity evangelists in the first century, when they went, they went and stayed a year, two years, three years, and their words were tested by their life. Now the evangelist goes and has a crusade and then goes on somewhere else, has another crusade, and takes the money and runs. Mm. It's like leaving a, a newborn infant in the middle of the highway. That's the fundamental problem. This idea that preachers or evangelists would live like the richest of the rich that they, their words weren't tested by their life. They just move on to another church or move on to another crusade. To me, that's sickening. The other thing is, is that, again, in the first century, that's the only model we have for a church. In the first century, a church had at least 10, but no more than 20 people. There was never a building called a church. There was no such thing as paid clergy. The idea of a pulpit for a preacher to speak from would have been an anathema because the preacher always spoke from the lowest seat, not the highest seat. He always lived as the poorest of the poor, not the richest of the rich. And so the whole mystery of God has gotten, when we started worshiping bigness and we cut ourselves off from Jewish roots and don't understand anything about it, then there's an environment for fraud because There's a situation in America, I'm sure it's in England too, it's called affinity fraud. And that's one of the most common kinds. And what happens is a preacher or a prominent person in a church introduces a con man that has a way to protect God's money from the IRS or whoever your taxing agency is or whatever. And there are fundamental Ponzi schemes over and over and over and over all across America and across the world. And now the success theology, the Kenneth Copelands of America, they've even taken the, the heresy to another level because now they're denying what Paul said. He said if you teach that gain is godliness, you turn away from them. But that's their whole theology. They've made the seed, which was an allegory for the seed of Christ or the sperma of God, they've made that seed into money. And so when it talks about some 10, some 30, some 60, or 100-fold, they're saying that's money that they give. And that's just so against everything that's in the Bible. But they've twisted Scripture to make themselves rich. So this is this seed idea is where they persuade people to give money and they say that's the sowing of a seed and that God will therefore bless them for giving to that particular ministry. Right, and that's absolute heresy without any, not even any wiggle room. 
Yeah, you have on your website, on the Foundation website, a quotation from the International Bulletin of Missionary Research, which says that it's $34 billion of financial fraud in 2011. And that's act- that actually goes beyond the smaller amount that's uh, spent by Christians on global missions. This seems absolutely astonishing that it really is yeah. th- th- those proportions now. I believe it's much larger than that. Most religious fraud isn't reported. And this business of these seed donations that uh, you're talking about, I had some experience of that from Peter Popoff. <laughs> I had a, 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 I'm going to put this in, in inverted commas, a personal letter from uh, Mr. Popoff saying that uh, if I were to give him, I think it was a prayer cloth he sent me, and I had to wrap some money, I think it was £27, something like that, and send it to him, and that if I did that, God would respond and give me, miraculously, £27,000. I, I hasten to add I did not send him anything. Yeah, he's, he's one of, there's, in America alone, there are 2,500 electronic evangelists, approximately. Really? That many? That includes radio and television, and, and the ones that just travel around. There's only about 80 that have a national prominence, though. But these guys, and the whole idea of the success theology, or the word, word faith ministries and all those, it's sorcery. It's like going to the worst, crookedest gambling hall in Las Vegas and playing the slot machines. And they're just lying to people. I mean, they're outright lies. And this is the thing that gets me. Well, let me, let me tell you the first, what lit my fire. We did a video making fun of, I mean, I was on a program that made, kind of made fun of Robert Tilton, who was prominent a few years ago. And uh, I got a phone call after that from a woman. She had a 13-year-old daughter that had multiple sclerosis. And she had watched this pre-produced testimonial say that a woman they had on the show had given Tilton a $1,000 seed faith. They made a vow of faith. And when it was paid, she was healed. Well, obviously, it was just a lie. But here's what happened. This girl secretly sent, she made the $1,000 vow of faith, 13-year-old girl. Her grandmother gave her most of the money. But at the end of the 12 months, which was the time that she was supposed to be healed, she called this man of God, and uh, whoever answered said, um, when she was told, why, why am I not healed? I'm, in fact, I'm, not, I'm much worse than I was. And the, this phone minister said, well, it, it's because you have secret sin in your life. Oh, I see. Now, this little girl, and if you've been around teenage girls or young girls that age, they're very conscious of self in every way, especially one with multiple sclerosis. She went out in the backyard and committed suicide because, oh, and I and, 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 and that's absolutely appalling. Yes, I mean it, it's it's the thing that lit the fire under me. Now there are mm-hmm. many cases since then where people have died, you know, just by their natural causes. But that one is the one that burned my bacon, as we say. Indeed, these calls for money are extremely powerful though aren't they the, the way they work on the congregation to give almost painfully give to their ministries I, mean, I had an experience of that with Morris Sorello in London <laughs> Where did you, you mentioned two of the worst guys on television <laughs> well he was doing uh, one of these rallies at the Albert Hall in London while I was studying there and I went along and halfway through he started this pitch for giving money and he told everybody to get their checkbooks out and then he just, you know, was doing this normal thing about saying, write in there as much as you can because God will bless you. And I really felt the power of that pitch. I mean, I didn't actually 
I, I left actually a little after that because I was I was disgusted by it. But nevertheless, I felt the power of that. Well, it's it's simple. Twenty percent of the population of any random group are what's called somnambulists. That means they're very easy to hypnotize. See, there's a word hypnosis shouldn't be one word. It should be about eight because there are eight different six or eight different levels. The first one is suspending critical judgment. We took a guy from England on Channel 4. I can't remember the producer's name. He was an illusionist that now produces documentaries. This was just recently. And we brought him here, and we taught him how to be an evangelist. And I kept insisting to the producer that it had to be used in a way that would show people not to believe this garbage that they're being told. We had a little crusade, and he got up and preached, and people were healed, and he collected money. We gave it all back, but... It was the idea that an atheist could do the same thing is just, you you get my frustration. Yes, absolutely. I I can see that it proves the point, indeed, that this can all be manipulated, as as is indeed manipulated. That's why I test everything. The only people in the Bible that were ever really commended were Bereans, because they searched the scriptures to see whether these things be true. The scriptures are our manifest guide. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, one thing I wanted to ask you, I suspect that some people would accuse you of denying the gifts of the Holy Spirit. How do you respond to that? I do believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I do believe in healing, and many people have been healed, but I don't believe in trying to use the Spirit for your benefit. Sure, yeah, I thought that might be the case. I think I saw somewhere some statement of faith where you said that you believed in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I did expect that some people would accuse you of not believing in those you know, it's just as a way to get back at you, you know. Yeah, they accuse me of everything. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they do. That, that was the first thing. Then the second thing was that I was the Antichrist. <laughs> really? And then when we started, yeah, really, all over the place. <laughs> and then when we started uh, working with a finance committee, then I got in a promotion. Now I'm Satan incarnate. <laughs> so I just wanted you to know who you're talking to. Okay, right. Well, I have to say, I've not, I've not heard any other evidence to point me in that direction. I'll have to take you at your word on that. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing here, yeah. let me one other point on this. The reason for the smallness of churches is that you know each other, you know each other well, yes, and you lay down your life for each other. And you don't have to turn around and say, tell them three times you love them or some other little religious gimmick. You love them because whoever is born of him automatically loves the others that are born of him. But you know it because it's been tested by life experience. This was formalized in the Didache. Are you familiar with the Didache? I'm not familiar with it, no, but I know of its existence, yeah. Okay, it's a manual of discipleship mm-hmm. that was allegedly written by the Twelve Apostles. And in it, there's a bunch of stuff, but one of them is, if anyone comes to you in the name of God asking for money, shun him, he's a false apostle. Now, just think of the impact of that. The other was, there's a vow of poverty, but it doesn't have anything to do with money. It goes like this. And again, it's for this this small group of people. It says, whatever I own that you need to own, you can use. Whatever I have that you don't have, I'll give it to you. And whatever you need that I don't have, I'll help you get it. I have to say, I don't remember Morris Sorello saying that. No, yeah, I know. These guys are just a cosmic joke. And it's the Western world spiritual infancy that's giving them the power. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier in the conversation Robert Tilton. Right. And uh, I understand that he is one of the main evangelists that you've investigated. Well, he, he's 
the one that put us on the map, so to speak, that we got all the national publicity for, because it was with Diane Sawyer. So could, could you tell us something about that investigation then? Well, it was shortly after the experience with that young girl that I called you that apparently one of Diane's producers had seen that same television show. It was on CNBC. And uh, I got a call from her producer and asked us to work with them on the business of televangelism. It had never been investigated. And so um, well, that's what we did. The original program investigated three televangelists, one named Robert Tilton, another named W.V. Grant, and another named uh, Larry Lee. And so we assisted ABC News in doing those investigations that finally aired in November of 1991, and it was a, a shocker. I've been sued so many times. I, I'm not an attorney, but I could play one on television. You know, it's just crazy. They get sued all the time, but that's all right. I don't have anything. But anyway, that's what put us on the map. And the thing that caused the biggest issue was the thousands upon thousands of prayer requests we found in the trash in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which Tilton could not possibly have read. And then each one of those prayer requests had a personal letter sent from Robert Tilton telling them exactly what they should do to, for this kind of prayer. Well, it turns out he had read and code employees in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, They'd read the letters, send the money to the bank, then code the letter as a BBD or whoever. No, yeah, whatever. There was, we had all those codes because we made trash runs at his attorneys, his data processing, his marketing firm at the church, and we had in undercover people go in to the church. And anyway, it was a big deal. And did you not yourself also go undercover into this investigation? No, I went in as myself for Tilton. Uh huh. Fox News wanted me to um, think about doing a national television show. They asked us to put together this proposal of what we would do with this kind of thing. So anyway, we didn't do it. We never did come to an agreement. But we took that proposal that we sent to Fox and then had that as the entree into his data processing company. And I went as me. And uh, they asked me what, um, and I asked them, and we, we need help with handling the mail and I had radio and television shows, and I always generated tons of mail. You know, told them about what we do and everything, and taking in the homeless. And then this guy said this incredible thing. He said, "You can write a book a week, or a book a month, or blah blah blah." And then it was all about names and addresses. All about names and addresses. That's all. do everything you can get in a name and address. So this was the advice that he was giving you on how to make your church grow. Yeah, that was part of the proposal. He was telling us how that we should um, every once in a while ask for something or send something out. And when they get that little, as you said, the little, oh, I call them gimcracks or prayer claws or prayer ropes or water from the Dead Sea or something. And then he said, most people feel compelled to send something back. The program was an incredible program. It won the IRE, the investigative report of the year. And um, from then on, the phone never stopped ringing, either somebody suing me or somebody wanted us on television or radio or, or newspapers or whatever. And so we've assisted hundreds and hundreds of, of organizations, including the federal government, federal and state governments. And was Robert Tilton himself uh, prosecuted at all for any of these activities? No, he had a very good attorney that got him uh, out of it. But he lost a lot of followers, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, he just became a cosmic joke here. Although I understand he is back in business, isn't he, these days? Oh, yeah, now he's Archbishop Robert Tilton. 
Oh, right. <laughs> but but he's only only to poor black families. I mean, that's his target audience. Well, I'd actually looked him up on his website, and it does seem that that's exactly the kind of thing he's doing, because he talks about a vow. He says, you can make a vow and expect a return. And from what I see, he does seem to be targeting the poor. Let me just quote what he says here. This is exactly his words. Step out in faith today and make a vow to God. Vowing is one of the best ways to stretch your faith, but only when your vow goes beyond your natural resources or abilities. And he says, I don't need much faith to vow $100 if I have $2,000 in a saving account. But if I don't even have a savings account and can barely pay my bills, then a $100 vow will stretch my faith indeed. So he does seem to be encouraging people who have virtually no resources to give beyond what they can give. Well, that one's tame compared to many. It's the worst con there is. In England, you used to have this, um, it, it said anything aired on uh, your airways had to be verifiable. Now that's gone. Canada is the only one that still has that. The Postal Service should have had the same kind of any promises made for the purposes of getting something of value that are not verifiable or illegal. But they don't do it. There's politicians and oh, I get so frustrated with them. And what, one of the things that it says on the, your foundation's website that it's very difficult to actually prosecute these people. There's a frequently asked question: is why hasn't the government stopped these practices? And it mentions various reasons, such as there are just so many numbers involved, it's difficult to oversee all this, that the law doesn't seem to be enforced very much. And there's something about absolute church status as well. Could you tell us something about how they manipulate that situation? Well, it's been manipulated to the to the nth degree about the church-state separation. I mean, the IRS, Treasury Department, they can't even investigate these kinds of abuses and fraud without three upper management. They can't even keep a file on them. And the reason is they've taken what happened in 1776. They said, we can't have the government involved in religion. But you certainly can have the government involved in fraud, but we have politicians that are afraid to have those laws in it. We tried many times over the years to get certain legislative bodies to enact or prosecutorial bodies to prosecute fraud. The only reason we do what we do is to try to, because there's no legislative bodies ever going to pass any laws because they're all afraid of the, their votes. And the same is true with the enforcement of laws. They're not going to be really enforced like they are in other areas because, again, they're political issues. And so the only thing we can do is to try and get case law that will protect the victims. And uh, we, unfortunately, we haven't been very successful at that even because every time that there's been a fraud case prosecuted for the things like you've been talking about, it was sent to a appeals court that was so afraid of they, they, they dismissed the fraud case. So it's what I'm trying to do are is probably kind of stupid because it probably has no end, but it's what God called me to do, so I got to do it, whether it's successful or not. And do you feel that you're having an effect by raising awareness of this problem amongst people? Oh yeah, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And have you had any dealings with Benny Hinn at all? <laughs> yeah, many, many. <laughs> I've met him personally. He made me all kinds of promises that he's going to reform and didn't do one of them. And is he somebody you've investigated? Oh, sure, yeah. We've got massive information on him. File cabinet's full. And I was I was very surprised to see that, again, on the website, that uh, there was concern expressed about Hillsong Church in Australia. Oh, yeah, a lot of, lot of concern. Yeah, well, that's, that's the first I'd heard about that. Can you give us some idea of what's going on with that? 
Well, it's, it's it's extravagant lifestyle fundamentally, but you'll have to ask Pete more about that. He's the one that's looked into that more than I have. But we did a, a really tremendous, one of the best investigative programs we've ever done was for 60 Minutes Australia. It was on Benny Hinn. It's wonderful. You ought to, and again, you can find that on the website somewhere. It's just outstanding. The presenter just got up and said, Benny Hinn is a fraud. After, you know, several months investigation with us, we followed him around and, you know, we pointed out here's what he's doing here, there's what he's doing there, and blah, blah, blah. And we had a ton of informants. But he had the courage to stand up, Benny Hinn is a fraud. Don't send me your money. If you are, you're a fool. I wish America had the same broadcast freedom that Australia does. Anyway, that's another story. It's one of my favorite places, by the way. Aha. Uh-huh. I've never been there, actually. <laughs> well, I didn't spend much time there, but I, I had to go. I spent three months in Alice Springs. Oh, yeah. Which is like three months in hell. <laughs> yes. I think it got 180 degrees. It felt like it. Well, yeah. But really, I like New Zealand better than Australia. Well, I understand that's a little bit more like the UK. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, is it all also right that you've been having some dealings with the Trinity Broadcasting Network recently? I can't talk about that because they're deposing me. I have to be released from that deposition. Okay. We, we've already had the depositions, but they have to be certified before I can talk about it. Okay, fair enough. One question which I wanted to ask was that, uh, you know, people who are listening to this podcast might feel a, a certain amount of frustration thinking to themselves, well, what can I actually do to help any of this? You know, I can't uh, set up a foundation and try to uh, investigate these people. So what can I actually do as a, an ordinary citizen? Is, is there anything that I can do to help this situation at all? What would you advise? Well, sure. Just use your common sense. Visit a number of churches. Follow this, what I believe is the Holy Spirit. One thing you can do is we have religious abuse forms in our website. And so if you look at something and be suspicious about it, report it. You know, it doesn't take, I don't know anything about doing what we're doing. We just follow our nose. And if you see a church or you see some religious thing that sounds suspicious, just go attend and act like you're interested. If you see that there's criminal activity, send it to your district attorney. Or, you know, it's common sense. It's just something's got to happen to you like that did with that girl that committed suicide. I tell you that. You can't just be kind of intellectually put off by it. There's never a a reward for doing this. You just call names. Well, I was quite affected by one. There was one testimony that appears on the website. It was a communication to your foundation. I think it was 2012. I'll just read a a couple of sentences from it. Uh, This guy wrote, uh, What is the true gospel? I'm not too sure anymore. Been lied to way too much. I have issues with the gospel that I hear on TV. I have illnesses, HIV, etc., so I'm home a lot. They say that if I pay God money, that God will heal me. I'm a poor man. I have to live with people to survive. And he goes on, he has no job. And then he goes on to say that he's given thousands and thousands of dollars in wages for four years and basically ended up with nothing. But he does end his little email here with, um, I still believe, thank you, Jesus, but I'm never going to do it again. Amen, that's great. And that, that really did... That, that got to me as a, a testimony of somebody oh, who's, yeah. who, who's been absolutely ruined by these people. And, and killed by not taking their medicine mm. because they think they wouldn't be in faith if they took the medicine. I mean, there's so much of this going on. It's just, it's sickening. And it's getting worse. And I think one of the things which first, 
well, sort of grabbed my attention with this whole issue was, you know, you can think about the these people who are really badly affected by it, as we've just been discussing, but there's also the effect that it has on people who are non-believers who are looking on you know, at these TV shows and they see the the evangelist, the, the so-called evangelist up there and they think to themselves, well, they must think to themselves, well, this is what Christianity is. And then, then think, well, I don't want anything to do with that. There must be people who are put off Christ by what they see. Oh, yeah. I've been appalled by this, the same thing that you've just described since we started. And one day I said, I was praying and I just answered, said, God, what would you say to these people that have been turned away from God? Now, the day that I was saying that, I was on Diane Sawyer's program. She was interviewing me. And so Diane said, what would you say to the people that we just talked about? And I said, Diane, I don't think you're asking for the people, and I don't think you're asking what would I say? The question is, what would God say to you? And then you want to hear what came out? I just came out. I'm talking to Diane Sawyer, which is just crazy. So stubborn and rebellious child, has my love no longer the power to melt your heart? Have you been driven away by those who claim to know me, but were filled with hypocrisy and greed and drunk with the stench of a death faith? Let the dead bury the dead. Let ignorance reproduce itself until it's weary of its own offspring. This is between you and me. You can no longer resist my spirit without suffering pain. Come back. All is forgiven. And she was sitting there sobbing. They, of course, didn't hear that part. But but that's what I would say. I think that's what God would say, actually, because it certainly didn't come from me. Yeah, I was wondering if there's if there's anything, you say that you don't actually have a lot to do with the website at the moment, uh, but is there any way that you would suggest that people could get in contact with you or your, or your ministry if they, they feel they need help? Yeah, it's, the website is trinityfi.org. So if people go to that website, they'll be able to find ways of contacting you and find out more about... Yeah, uh, right. There's, there's all kinds of... There's, there's ways to contact for different things. Well, it's been a, a very interesting uh, discussion, uh, quite a moving discussion, actually, in many ways. Um, is there anything else that you would like to say before we end? I would say don't let what you see others doing or being affect your walk with God. Understand that Christ is totally involved, but he can never occupy where you are. His way is always emptying. To stand before Christ and empty yourself and let God show you the way. Well, thank you ever so much for agreeing to come on the show. I know that you haven't been very well recently, so I'm very grateful to you for uh, putting this time aside to come on the podcast. Thank you, Julian. I enjoyed it. If you ever can come to here to visit U.S., come and see us. We've got a great guest house. That sounds fantastic. I hope that's possible. Yeah, we have a guy with a family. We have a whole family moving here from London here soon. So, uh-huh. Well, thank you for the invitation. That's wonderful. All right. God bless you. And you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.